Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to now be on both iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've come to call it, NHTE. Once again. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from up in New York State, my guest is a member of the Blues Hall of Fame. He plays drums, he hosts a weekly show called Local Licks on a radio station in the Catskills, but spent a number of years in Los Angeles. You've been hearing a song called One More Time by Task Crew, who he tours with. I'm happy to welcome today Sonny Rock. Hello, Bruce. How are you? Fantastic. Sonny, uh, thank you. For taking time to do this today, thanks for being the one answering questions today instead of asking them, as you've gotten used to doing. I know. I was actually driving. I was thinking, geez, what am I going to ask Bruce, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, I'm on the other side now. Yeah, yeah, but you have uh, certainly enjoyed doing that, it seems. It's been it's been a lot of fun. As you know, the show on uh, WRIP is is, successful. Uh, we have everything, high school bands, live on the show, to national touring and international touring acts on. And I, I spin tons of music that I find when I'm out on tour, mostly, is where I find most of the, the uh, music that I spin, you know? Wow, wow, very cool. You've got a, a nice conversational style with, with your guests on your radio show. I take it that you find that to be a nice break, a nice shift from actually performing music all the time? Yeah, actually it is. Um, you know, it's nice to be, you know, uh, as a working musician, it's nice to have guys or, or, or people on the show just to chat with them about what they're up to. And a lot of times, you know, yeah, I know, you know, just listen to the show, I'm not, not even talking to them about music. You know, we just might chat. You know, uh, we'll play a lot of their music, but sometimes I just chat about who knows what comes up next, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's so. something that I've talked about on previous episodes of this podcast you know for the up-and-comers the the listeners that are aspiring musicians that that's kind of the the relationship building that you want to take part in is to find out what some people's interests are and not come right in their face talking about business and and do some of exactly what you're referring to well yeah because you know as as a musician you know we i I know a lot about what's happened but i'm always curious about other things like I, i i always like to know what their midnight snack is you know, that's that's kind of important, let's think. <laughs> but, like, like, you know, what's your favorite midnight snack? You know, it's interesting thing. Plus, it breaks it up so people not, aren't feeling pressured by, you know, ready to get grilled about, you know, when do they start playing and who's their influence. We, we hear it a lot, you know, and those are common questions that were asked. So I just kind of lighten it up and, you know, and just, you know, talking one person to another about, you know, whatever other interest they, they're in. And that, I find that very interesting, you know. Indeed, and I'm sure that the guests appreciate that because it does break up uh, the the usual pattern that, that, as you alluded to, interviews seem to follow with those questions that, that you started to mention. 
Well, but, you know, I, I find it really interesting with my younger guests, you know, especially they're, they're still in school. I'm a big fan of uh, the kids. And uh, they're very nervous, as you, you know, that uh, are coming on. And so if we chat about, you know, things that have nothing to do with their schooling or their music programs, it makes it easier for them to lighten up a little bit. Because uh, the other thing, we're, we're older than they are, you know, so they're, they're a little intimidated by that. And if I light it up and just talk to them as people, you know, the kids really seem to lighten up and then really get into it, you know. And by the time we're done, we're laughing and joking, and they don't even realize they're on the radio, you know? Yeah, they let their guard down, and, and you're, you're right. You kind of get them into that comfort zone where eventually when you do get to the questions, who are your influences, what are you listening to these days, right. it come, comes more naturally. Right, you know, and uh, because I know when I first started doing radio, my, my whole scheme was not to be on the radio. I just had an idea coming from Los Angeles to the Catskill by Woodstock. There was so much music and entertainment I would see out in local music venues. I said, why isn't anybody featuring these players? I mean, you have everybody from the Almer Brothers, Steve Miller, the band, um, on and on and on and on that live right here where I am. And the radio station said, why don't you feature a show? I said, well, I don't know anything about, about uh, radio. They said, well, stumps, well, you'll be all right. And uh, so, but I got stumped. I mean, you put a microphone in front of a drummer, he was kind of stumped for a while. You know, until I got the hang of it. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's all, I started with a half-hour show. We're up to three hours. And I'm up, I've collected over 4,000 CDs. Wow. You know, and, uh so it's it's going really well, you know. Amazing. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's that's certainly a milestone, and, and certainly uh, you know another success story in your career. As as you show, they're d- building different levels for the show to reach, and, and I'm sure there's probably still other places that you want to go with it. Oh, um, this you know, it's just um, it's, it's interesting. I was I was actually I was in the house band last night for Blues Hall of Fame induction in uh, in, in Hudson, New York with uh, some uh, hot shots, Debbie Davies, who's a very famous blues artist, uh, the guys from the Walter Trout Band, and, and uh, Scott Schrott from the Elman Brothers Band, and uh, a bunch of others. So it was, really, it was really nice. And I liked that a lot, and I get to meet a lot of people. It takes me to other places. I also um, record for a uh, motion picture um, out of Hollywood. I've been involved with them. I've had a union card there for over 22 years, and I go back and forth um, when I can to go uh, play some soundtracks there. But as a touring drummer, I'm really busy. I'm working on a brand new record now, so I tend to be busy. I play with four other bands, too. So, Amazing. You know, so I'm Amazing. a busy guy. Outstanding. And, and you mentioned last night playing in the house band for the Blues Hall of Fame event, but as I mentioned in the introduction, the listeners should know that you are already in the Blues Hall of Fame. Tell our listeners about that honor. Well, you know, I got I got the call. Michael Packer is the ambassador of the Blues Hall of Fame, and he called me, and we have been friends, and he said he would like to induct me, and I said, do you have the right number? I said, this is the right number. And I actually said no. I actually said no at first. I didn't, I didn't think I was worthy of what he was offering. With wow. That. I was, wow. I, I really did. I said, I don't think that I'm the right guy, Michael. And he said, well, you're in. So show wow. up. So I went to New York City and I was inducted with some of my heroes, uh, Willie, who plays in the David Letterman yeah, band, yeah. also the Tom Petty band. The one section from the Letterman band was uh, Lou Blue Marini, uh, Bernard Purdy, the drummer, one of my favorite drummers of all time. I I got to hang out with him to play, and uh, he's very famous for playing on the, the Asia record, you know, um, uh, with Steely Dan, 
and uh, many, many other staple singers. He's the most recorded drummer in the history of band kind that I've been listening to since I was 16 years old. I couldn't believe I'm on the same stage drumming with him, being inducted with him with you know other members, John Hammond and John Paris and Professor Lilly and and I, I was stunned. I mean, it took me about a week to come down from that. <laughs> that was that was a huge deal for me. Amazing, amazing. Is it is it safe to say that that is career highlight number one? That's right up there. Um, that was right. That was right up there. I found a t- I did one of my first really big shows that I ever played. Um, I had I had been a utility drummer for a long time. I got to play with a lot of guys that needed a fill in over the years. I played with the cult members from the Kiss from Kiss, uh, uh, Brian Adams, on it, and the list is really long. And I didn't, I wasn't in the band, and I didn't play long periods of time, but over the years, I got to do a bunch of cool gigs. And I got to play, um, um, you know, at the US Festival in California, which was, um, was a 100,000 people. I mean, that was, when I was young, I was 26. So that really, that really sticks in my mind that, uh, that that was a, a huge deal for me. But the Blues Hall of Fame was, it was different. You know, it was, uh, to be honored, and these guys are my peers, they're telling me, you know, and I was like, wow, these are my heroes, they're not my peers, they're my heroes, you know? Right, right. And uh, so that was that was mind-boggling as opposed to exciting. It was exciting, but um, when I walked out on stage in front of that many people, and I thought I'd be really nervous, I was so excited that he's coming, <laughs> I thought I was going to spontaneously combust, you know? <laughs> That's so, awesome. Because I was excited that way. The hardest gigs for me are, are local gigs that you're playing in front of 20 of your friends. No you kidding. Know, those are difficult. No kidding. Yeah, those are difficult for me, yeah. And uh, I just feel like that the pressure's on, that when they're so big like that, you're lost in the sea of people. And when the music's cranking and they're into it, it becomes like one great big organism. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. It's a good, it's a good analogy. Yeah. And again, uh, a good story to for, for the listeners of this podcast, who are those up and comers that I referred to? A good story for them to hear, because certainly they're Absolutely. they're getting they're getting stage fright. Uh, to use a cliche, they're getting stage fright every gig. So you know, know that know that there's a blues hall of famer out there getting nervous from time to time. And, and I do, and and I do. And last night, um, well, I was just in Memphis playing um, for the BMAs, which is the Blues Music Awards, and. Taz Crew won a KBA, which means keeping the blues alive. We actually, when we're on the road, we teach blues in schools to kids. And then we play at night, so it's kind of a, a tough schedule. But when we were there, we got, we, Ronnie Earl won Guitar Player of the Year this year, and over Eric Clapton. Wow. And uh, uh, we were the house band, and I'm sitting there with every Grammy winner, gold record person in the blues, and I said, Wow, I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating pretty heavily. Then Ronnie Earl, who wanted to, he walks in the door and wants to play with the band. He wanted to play with us. So he played, and James Cotton played, very famous blues band, and uh, Charlie Musselwhite was there. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I'm like, wow, I better not mess up now. I mean, this isn't the time to mess up, you know? Yeah. And yeah. we were fine, and it, it was really exciting, but I was afterwards, you know, you get some of that stage fright, you're exhausted. That's a lot of energy. You know, uh, and I had to learn how to turn that around, you know, it it can cripple me at times, or it used to. Now I let it flow out as opposed to in, you know. Well, and you you know Melissa Brethauer, you had her on your show, and... You know, I've I've been with her on some on some really big gigs. Uh, for instance, I, right. I remember when we were in Vegas uh, playing at the House of Blues on the Las Vegas Strip. And Sonny, that's probably the most 
nervous I've ever seen her. I've I've seen a couple others, and and over the years, you know, I've kind of talked to her about this this pre-show nervousness. And a colleague of mine, we were in Nashville, and a colleague of mine in Nashville said, you know. I don't. I don't mind people getting nervous. I don't. I don't know that I want to see a young artist like that that's not nervous. That's a good point too. I mean, I'm sure she's 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 a pro. So imagine when she walks through the curtain, you know, or onto the stage, it changes. You know, exactly. Because you might see her back or mine backstage jitter. But when I walk out, everybody says, "Wow, you look so confident." I said, "Boy, she could be in my head." You know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little different. But when it's time to perform, you know, performers and artists and professionals. In any job, you've got to step up and do your work because that's the job at hand, you know? Yeah, yeah. Two weeks ago, Sonny, my guest on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast was R.B. Stone. And lo and behold, just a couple weeks in Memphis, a couple weeks ago in Memphis, you just mentioned it. You played at the 35th Blues Music Awards. Who did you play with? None other than R.B. Stone. And R.B. was there, too. Yeah, it's funny that I love R.B. He's awesome, man. He's a great guy. And and it really shows how the music community comes together and, and looks smaller and smaller than than people on the outside think. You know, RB is is he he called himself a gypsy on the podcast, and and there you are, you know, centrally located in in New York for for most of the time, and all of a sudden the right. two of you are out in Memphis and, and come together to play on the same stage with each other. But it, it, yeah, that's that's the funny thing. Well, Debbie Davies, who's a, a big blues star, was I was with her in Memphis. And, you know, she's at the Blues Hall of Fame last night. We played, and it was great. And uh, I was just actually talking to R.B. last week. Well, I want to get him into New York and do some playing with him, you know? Nice, nice. And he's a great guy. We, we, we seem to be fine musically. We get along personally. You know, so that those are all things that count, you know? And, you know, I always say it's a small music world, but I wouldn't want to paint it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a lot of fun, you know. I am Bruce Warzniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York State is Blues Hall of Famer, drummer, radio show host, Sonny Rock. Listen to his weekly show at www.wrip979.com. Catch him out playing in clubs everywhere, including on tour with Task Crew. Played a song by them at the beginning of this episode. Check them out at www.wrip979.com. T-A-S-C-R-U.com. Be sure that you're checking out www.nowhearthis.biz, that's H-E-A-R, and sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast. Please use the social media buttons there as well to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. Sonny, last week on the podcast, my guest was Bruce Barker, who has been in radio for 30 years. We talked about the up-and-coming musicians, the aspiring artists who are looking for airplay, and talked about kind of the do's and don'ts relative to efforts to get their music heard on the radio. You're both. You're a musician, and you're someone who plays music on the radio. I would love for you to chime in on this topic, because, in fact, I even had R.B. Stone weigh in on it the week before as well, this this concept of uh, do's and don'ts for up-and-comers that are trying to get their music heard. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. I, you know, as you know, you get so much stuff that comes across my desk, and uh, getting to it is difficult uh, with my schedule and as much as I'm getting. Um, one of the things that I, I, I really need to happen is um, a little overkill doesn't hurt me with, with uh, information, 
first of all, you know, a little press kit doesn't hurt anything at all. But I get a lot of, I'm amazed how many CDs come across my desk that aren't, aren't uh, the songs aren't labeled correctly wow. or, or poorly, I should say. Um, when, I, when I open up a package and see a nice CD with, I, I know exactly who the artist is. When I look at it, I know exactly what the name of the CD is. Um, it's easy to find the website information. There's information about that artist or the band. Uh, to share on the show, because uh, as you're saying, you know, you're, you're reading off uh, websites, you know, and it's important. I mean, give the, guy, the radio guys as much as you can, because you're promoting you, you know, and uh, you have to promote yourself in everything that you can. If if it's too much information, I won't use it. It's not going to throw it in the gloves, but if I don't have the information, I can't use it. Absolutely. I can't help. Absolutely. And as a musician, I always say, my show is by a musician for musicians. You know, so give me what you what you have, and I'll I'll use what I think is the best to to uh, market the, the artist that I have on the show. Yeah, and that's another example of you know kind of putting them at ease a little bit because it it is stressful. Is this going to get played? Is it going to end up in the garbage? Should I even bother sending it? And and because of the style that you described earlier, where you really try to just break it down and say, let's just talk like two normal people. This has nothing to do with music. If they can just kind of understand those parameters that you're looking for, but then at the same time say, okay, I can, I can exhale now. You know, this is, this is to an extent a colleague because he's a fellow musician. I'm going to send it in and give it my best effort and, and then see, you know, then, then Sonny holds the cards at that point. There, yeah. There's an interesting thing that, that, that happens. I see, um, in today's recording world, it's so easy to produce music and record music and to get it out, which is good and bad because um, I get a lot of stuff that's um, either overproduced and or home recorded, which is bad. Eh, it's okay, but you know, every now and again, you know, because it's money. Money's a big issue, and but when money comes in and you have well-written songs played by uh, good performers. It's recorded well, mixed well, and mastered well. It's really good. I mean, and it really sticks out. But I would say one out of ten CDs, really, that I get are really, really, really good. I get mm. probably 70% that are good, and you get a few that are, I wonder what you're thinking about when you record it. <laughs> and sometimes I'll still play them. Not, and not, not to put anybody down, but to show the differences in things and let the audience you know, um, tell me what they think. Because wow. as I'm as I'm on my show, I have laptops going, laptops going, phone calls coming, texts, tweets, uh, Facebook, all running at the same time while I'm on the show. Wow! And I'm interacting with people all over the world as I'm on the show. Yeah, and to get you know, the to, to get, get the listener, feedback. yeah, to get the listener feedback, you know, kind of. I don't want to say it takes you off the hook, but you know, if you do put something out there that's, you know, maybe not. A plus material, uh, and and it gets a good reaction. Then you go, well, you know what? Hey, maybe it was just me this time, but it uh, sort of gives that that artist an opportunity to hear that. You know what? It's not just me. I've got listeners that are tweeting or emailing in, commenting on Facebook, and saying, you know, cut this one short. <laughs> there's there's another side of that. Now I, I get some artists that are very eclectic. I don't play one style of music. I play tons of it, from blues to that, I go to punk to, to um, you know, pop. And um, 
I'll play some uh, eccentric artists that have been recorded really, really well and play really well, and but their music is odd. Mm. And I, I put that on there just to see the reaction because some people tell me, well, that was horrible. And I'll have to disagree with them. I said, it's not horrible, but it's really different. Yeah, It's yeah. recorded well, it's written well, and, you know, it's played well. I said, you might not like it, but it's not bad. Exactly. And that's yeah. my point. It's not bad music. It's just not your cup of tea, Mr. Listener. Yeah, and then sometimes, yeah, there's some stuff that's sketchy. Uh, my biggest thing that I find are vocals. You know, um, you'll have some great artists with some fair vocals on it or overproduced vocals that are trying to mask people who are a little pitchy. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm, not a, I'm not a good singer at all, so I understand that. But, you know, it, it's, it's tough. But every now and again... Um, Gene Godshow, who was a keyboard player for Grateful Dead for many, many years, just sent me a brand new CD, and she recorded at Muscle Shoals and with Muscle Shoals horns. That is a tremendous CD. I mean, that is so good. It's just scary how good it is. Because <laughs> it's really produced and recorded and written well. It's really, really good. And um, then I, I, I actually, uh, Peter Clickman is their manager also for New Rogers of Purple Sage, and he he has a second home by where I live, and he was listening to something. I had some guests on the show, local uh, couple, uh, kind of folky pop, and they recorded in their living room, and he actually came to the station to find out how they did it, because it was absolutely wow. genius. Wow. This fellow, Brian Schaefer, and that's the other side of that. He captured something really real in the living room, you know, with a small recorder. And even though it was a drum machine on track, it was brilliant. It sounded great. Yeah, and I want the listeners to understand the difference because we've talked on one or two episodes of this podcast before that there are people that because something like, say, GarageBand, for example, has become so accessible that too many of these musicians think, I can just do it myself. And it shows when you're cutting corners and you're trying to pinch pennies because all of a sudden someone like yourself does get these recordings and you go, you right. know what, you, you know, you, you, your group might be talented, but you know the, the recording quality just is not there. This is not radio quality recording that, that I can use. And sometimes you have to say that, you know, um, I had gotten some MP3s on and off over time. First thing, I'm not a big fan of MP3s to play them over the radio. I think they sound a little compressed to me, um, unless they're really high quality and big files. But um, I, I would have to tell people that it's not it's not quite what, what I need. You know, it's not quite what I need. And and you have to say that in a way that's not insulting either. Right. You, know, um, uh, you know, as a musician... You know, we're sensitive, and uh, you know, this is your baby you're talking about, you know, and and some things that uh, that they think or, you know, think is really good. It might be really well-written, well-played, but like you said, the recordings are, are not great. They don't have the, the you know, the, the financial help to get them done, you know, properly. So that's a, that's a problem, you know? Well, and the flip side of that is they do have the financial ability to do it, and then they get what what you talked about a few minutes ago, which is now it's overproduced, there's too much auto-tune on it, and it's, you know, just, no, <laughs> take this back. <laughs> then, yeah, then there's that problem, but when you find the right thing, it's it's, it's magic, you know. When you, when you, and, and as a musician doing that, we, we're working on a record now, and, and we're fumb, not fumbling, but we're working on, you know, how much, um, you know, you know how 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 to how to do it. Just not overproduced, but it sounds clean and tight. And you know, are we really getting a nice live recording sound that we could tweak later digitally? You know, yeah. And uh, 
you know, it's all that without overdoing it because we don't want to do that. And I think, I think a lot of people want to get back to that analog sound where, you know, it sounds like a real band playing without, you know, 14 layers of guitars and vocals. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I, I so. agree. I'm, I'm hearing more and more people say words to that effect these days. I, th- I think you're dead on. Yeah. So it's great. Your weekly radio show, Local Licks, is on a station in the Catskills. People hear that, and they think of resorts, getaways. Musicians in particular think, aha, a resort. I'd love to play there. But, of course, it's not a unique idea. Tons of artists want to play at resorts, whether it's the Catskills, a a ski resort in Denver, or wherever. In your experience, Sonny, is the only way that these up-and-comers are going to get sexy gigs like that going to be by utilizing a booking agency or, or secondarily, I guess, knowing the right person? I, I would say the biggest thing that I see is knowing the right, the right people, you know, the right contacts. Or, or I, I try to go out of my way, especially when I find artists that I'm playing, to, to try to get them into the area because I think they're de- you know, deserving of being hurt. I think the people like to hear new things. Um, one of the problems that I see, original bands, the venues are smaller and smaller. People want to hear things they're familiar with. A lot of these resorts, they want to hear Rolling Stones songs. They want to hear classic rock stuff, you know? So it's, it, it, that's it. Yeah, like when I play with Taz True, we know hundreds and hundreds of cover songs. We'd rather not play them. We have eight CDs worth of material. We'd rather do that. But sometimes you need to adjust to a club um, depending on what the atmosphere is. You might need to spice that up with, with cover songs and then sneak your own songs in. If we're at an at a original venue, you can't really slide in cover songs. You're not looking for that. You know? yeah. Like you're saying, like you're at the House of Blues, BB Kings. Those are places people go to hear original bands play. Resorts, when you're sitting at the pool and there's a band playing over by the Tiki Bar, you know, they, they, you know, they want to hear Jimmy Buffett and, and you know, Johnny exactly. Bad songs. You know? Exactly. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is don't use crappy video, please, that someone shot at your gig with their phone. It's probably unstable, shaky. And there could likely be voices on it of the person holding the phone and the people sitting around them. Keep that off of YouTube, keep it off of Facebook, keep it off of anything having to do with your media. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. You have had the opportunity to perform at some really great music halls right off the bat. In Hollywood, you were the house drummer at the House of Blues and the famed Whiskey A Go-Go, uh, the latter of which, for the listeners that aren't familiar, Whiskey A Go-Go has hosted everyone from Alice Cooper to Buffalo Springfield, The Doors. Not only did Soundgarden play there, but in late 2011, Black Sabbath used Whiskey A Go-Go as the venue to announce their reunion. What stories, what memories do you have, Sonny, from the House of Blues and or Whiskey A Go-Go? Well, um... I don't know if you know famed drummer um, Steve Jordan. Uh, yes, one of my favorite yes. trumpets of all time. He's the musical director when I was there at um, House of Blues. And I was at the point in my career where I was really tired. Of, I was doing a lot of uh, overseas touring. And, and I was really tired. I was really tired of that scene. And that came up to um, be one of several of the house drummers at House of Blues. And I got the play with everybody. My biggest story is because I called my mom on this one and she just was, you know, ecstatic. 
I was on stage with um, Tom Jones. I was on stage with Slash from Guns N' Roses. Wow. I was on stage from um, John Insulwhistle from The Who. Yep, yep. Was, was, the, was the band that they slept. They had a New York City uh, pro jam there. At, and I was uh, the house drummer for that. And I got to play with those guys. And I asked Tom Jones if we could play, and I might not even get it right now, if we could play What's Up Pussycat. Is that the right <laughs> name of that song? Because I said the wrong name, and he got really mad at me. He yelled at me. Oh, gosh. And, uh, and I was ecstatic. I said, Tom Jones yelled at me. I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I said, mom Tom Jones yelled at me. She goes, oh, my goodness. And... Uh, so that was that was really exciting for me, even though you know I kind of you know uh, disrespected him by not knowing the, the yeah. correct name of the song. But, but we we played a bunch of Rolling Stones songs. As a matter of fact, with with, with John Entwistle on bass, who was incredible. I mean, he um, was one of the best bass players I've ever walked the earth. I thought. You know? Wow, wow. And uh, and and uh, so that was cool. Whiskey and Go Go is. Um, I played in a, a little pickup band called the Slither Kings in in Hollywood, and we still do it now and again when we're out there. And it's members basically from the cult and Guns N' Roses that would get together whenever anybody's in town and we'd just go beat up a bunch of blues songs and whiskey would always have us there. Uh, and so we, you know, might, might be a Tuesday night and not really promoted about anything, but over time people got to know, you know, that band was going to be a couple hot shots in it. So we'd kick that around a little bit and that was always, you know, a lot of fun and kind of messy. But it was more fun than it was a musical statement. And, sure. you know, everybody got together. It wasn't a pr the pressure of really performing. We'd go out and, and we'd call people up and have people sit in <laughs> and things like that, you know. And you were speaking of The Doors. Uh, when they shot the movie The Doors without Kil Kilmer, I was actually in that movie. I did quite a bit of movie work, too. And um, my my 62 vehicle with Sabre sits in front of the whiskey for the whole, nice. most of that whole thing. Nice. So it's in that. And then uh, I just actually finished the movie, um, boy, what's it called? Into the Night with Brian Cranston, where I was a, a thug with him, and the movie actually shoots me in the face at the end. Uh -oh. I didn't think it was very nice. But, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I worked with uh, Brian on Malcolm in the Middle when he was on uh, Malcolm in the Father on Malcolm in the Middle many years ago. I was the, like the, the, I had really long hair then. I was the, the biker guy from next door that would stumble in, into the house. So it's a foregone conclusion that you have your SAG card then. Right, yes, I do, yeah. And I got the SAG card on a shoot where they couldn't pay us, but they had the opportunity for us to sign up for SAG. Uh -huh. uh, I worked on a movie, it's called Dead, uh, what was it called? Uh, Dudes. It was called Dudes. It was about a movie and these guys <laughs> from New York going to L.A. to be rock stars, and one of them gets killed in Arizona, and I was played on the soundtrack, and they were supposed to pay us, and it was 1980. Four or so, eighty-five, and they could they couldn't pass, but somehow they had a connection to SAG. We didn't want SAG cards; we wanted to be rock stars. You know, we were kids. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we signed up for SAG. And I got my card, and I, I kept my dues up, and I, I use it every now and again. You know, well, you know, and that's thirty years ago. Back then, it was a lot easier for them to pull off a yeah. a little switcheroo like that as opposed to today, where it's you know, you want a SAG card, you know, <laughs> we'll get back to you in a year. I, I, I don't even imagine, I can't even imagine what SAG card. Uh, and this, you know, the initial uh, seats for the dues would be, it's got to be ten, twenty thousand dollars got to be, I would think. Now that we're into some really big names, and, and we've we've mentioned some of these, uh, but my research turned up that you have played drums behind artists ranging from Brian Adams to members of The Who, Kiss, Aerosmith, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, you've recorded with members of The Cult, Heart, 
among others. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've been really, like I said, as a utility guy, I've been really, really, really lucky. And uh, uh, Mark Andes from Heart is, uh, he, he was in uh, Fogelberg, he was in Spirit, um, Firefall. We became really good friends early in my career when I was about 20 in Los Angeles. And um, I got to hang out with the guys from Heart, and I actually worked on some studio projects with them. And did some mess around with them, and he's still a good friend of mine. He's actually working with um, Tommy Shannon, who's the bass player for Stevie Ray Vaughan for many, many years. And Johnny Winter, they have a production studio out of Dallas. Uh, Fort Worth, and we're, I'm going to see him in July, actually. We're going to be down there. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. Mark calls him to the show. He sends me stuff. Um, his brother was the slide player in a band called Jojo Gun. Do you remember the song Run, Run, Run? Um, and he also played in Spirit for a while. And we've all kind of stayed friends. It was one of those relationships that just kind of happened and, and worked out. And uh, I worked on a recording for a movie with, with Mark and Paul Rogers from Bad Company. You know, I guess I'm not even on the bio. It might not be, but um, but but there's all these names, you know, and uh, and it, it just it's just it's been kind of crazy, <laughs> but really fun. I stay in touch with a lot of the guys, and you know, I'm in and out of the scene, and uh, like I said, utility. I'm a utility guy a lot, you know. Well, but I think you know, I think you're also a, a humble utility guy. For someone to say earlier in the show. You know, I, I thought they had the wrong guy when they called me for the Blues Hall of Fame. I mean, a resume like that, you know, to me, easily speaks of this guy's Blues Hall of Fame material, hands down. Oh, well, thank you, Bruce. Absolutely. It's, it's uh, I, I still, you know, sometimes you pinch yourself, but, you know, uh, as a working musician, you know, there are those gigs that I play on a Thursday night at a local uh, microbrewery. To where I'm, I'm going to be. I have to play in Cleveland tonight. I don't know really what that's going to be, but um, it's it's supposedly a big show, and um, so it's it's everything in between. And I really had to adjust my attitude uh, when I was younger. My sights were on being a rock star and quote unquote making it, uh-huh. which I didn't realize what that was until I got to the point when I played a lot of heavy metal and hard rock. When I, uh, when I got a little bit older, I realized, you know what, there's not a future in this for a guy who's going to be 40, you know, playing this stuff, really, yeah. very few. And I really needed to figure out what I wanted to do. And as a musician, I started adjusting my playing. I didn't want to play that aggressive and that hard. I was looking for more of a groove, a funk, a blues kind of thing. And I started to settle into that. I had to go back to, uh, you know, road shedding to really learn my first couple of trips into the South. With the blues guys, they kind of looked at me and said, uh, you, you're not playing the blues, kid, you know? Mm. And uh, and so I, I didn't know. I had to go back and readjust how I actually approach blues music as, a, as opposed to playing rock music. Or I even played country music in another band, and uh, a band called Whiskey Cross. And um, it's completely different drumming, all of it. It's completely different. Wow. And challenging. I mean, challenging for me. Um I'm a guy that has to work at it all the time. I spend probably two hours a day uh, on a regular day just woodshedding. Plus, I have a, a bunch of students. I have to stay up on top of my my rudiment stuff just to keep my students impressed, you know? <laughs> I have an 11-year-old pop shot. She keeps me on my toes, man. She's good. Unreal, unreal. And I've said before that you know, to me, Neil Peart has always been my all-time favorite drummer, but, you know, okay. even Neil playing with Rush for decades got to a point where when he got involved doing the Buddy Rich tribute, 
you know, he went back yep. and learned a whole new style. And, you know, if, if somebody like Neil can learn a whole new style after he's been not only in Rush for decades, but playing drums, you know, for his whole life, then that, then that yeah. shows, you know, the people that are getting a little too confident, hey, even even you have new directions you can go, new techniques that you can learn, uh, you know, new new tricks of the trade, so to speak. Yeah, can you, can you read that article with Neil about how he said he went back to uh, and, and had to go take lessons uh, and swing? Yeah, yeah. And, and the guys from Rush were like, well, what are you doing? You know, Alex and Getty were like, what are you doing? And and they said, well, you got it. And, and Neil, see, the thing about Neil, he's a very intelligent man and an excellent songwriter and drummer, you know. But um, he, he knew well enough that he wasn't swinging the way he needed to swing to play the Buddy Rich stuff. You yeah. know? He had the chops, you know. But I don't think he, he realized that he wasn't swinging at that big band thing, you know, which is, it's tricky. Yeah, and he cha- changed tricky. his grip and everything. He changed everything, yeah. He changed everything. And then he stripped down a bunch of drums. He plays a, a large set of drums. He stripped everything down. Yeah, I was reading that article not that long ago. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. So you, when, just a few minutes ago when you were mentioning about some of the different players and how you've stayed in touch with them, nowadays we have so much technology available to us. You can text people, you can tweet at them. Uh, you're, you're, you're fairly active on Facebook. Uh, email is, is still around after all these years. Uh, have you kind of, you know, adapted to the times and said, yeah, you know, that's, that's the way I need to go to stay in touch with this many people. Or, or are you still a, a, a pick up the phone and, and, and call these people kind of guy, the, the, the folks that you're referring to? Um, Interesting question. I think LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and email and all that is good. It's great. You reach a lot, a lot, a lot of people that you can't do by phone. But I still think one-on-one conversation, you know, um, I think things get lost in translation by by texting and messaging. And it's not as personal. And you, you can't hear the inflection in people's voices, what, what they might mean. I, I, I've taken things... It, out of context by by uh, tweets or email or text that I actually had to pick up the phone to make sure. And I was thinking, why don't I just pick up the phone in the first place? Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's important. You can't reach as many people, but it, it's really important. And I think, you know, if the, the younger musicians are listening, I think it's very important when you're playing, you know, when you're on a break or between songs or between, you know, before you start playing and after, it's very important to socialize and get to know your people. Um, you know, people like to feel like they're important too, you know? And there, there's, I think there's an art to that, to go out and say hello to people and, and how are you, especially if you're on, on a circuit, you know, which we are a lot, and you see the same people. You might not remember their name, but they like to be remembered, and a hug and a kiss and a handshake don't hurt, you know? That's, and that's really grassroots stuff for me. And I, I was just telling this story the other night on the radio about I was standing at the stage and, this woman's making a beeline towards me. I, I can't place her. I can't, I don't recognize her face. And she's coming right at me. And I just scoop her up and give her a big hug and a kiss. I say, how are you? And she says, I'm well. Can you tell me where the restroom is? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I misread that one, but it humbled me yet again. You know? <laughs> well, and that's, uh, you know, again, this is, this is a Blues Hall of Famer that is not saying, okay, we're taking a break. I'm going to go hide in the green room. You're out there shaking hands and kissing babies. And, and for the, for, you know, you mentioned before that, you know, you do get some of these gigs where you say, well, what am I doing here at, at, you know, 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night in a microbrewery where yeah. there's nine people in the place. But 
but right. you're not too get, you're not too good. Whoever you are that's listening to this podcast, saying I don't need to be doing that, you're not too good to be going out and greeting those people because they are the ones that you're playing to. They could all leave, and you'd be playing to bar stools. So you know, listen to what Sonny is saying because Sonny does it. You know, you're 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 doing that on a regular basis. Tell tell the story about about what happened on Memorial Day. Yeah, I'm sitting at the door of a venue, and there's a young bunch of kids, little kids, 20-something, early, you know, late 20s, came up to the door, and they had that wide-eyed look in their eyes, and, and I just said, it's $15 ahead, but I'm more than happy to give me a group rate at $10 a piece. So they started fumbling for their money, and I said, well, I need to see ID first. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I checked their ID and take their money, and then I, you know, I, I tell them I don't work here. I'm the drummer <laughs> in the band. And, and so I said, but you could put 10% of that in the tip bucket, and that would help. So, so then they went, and they were like, so they're like, oh, geez, mister, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm 50, you know? So, I, you know, I was, and I'm a big, I'm 6'2", and, you know, I was wearing all black like usual, and yeah. they thought I was probably the bouncer, you know, yeah. or the door guy. So I, I got stuff. a kick out of that, though. Now, now, whenever they see me playing, they come in, you know? Nice, um, nice. They got a kick out of that, you know? So... And, and a lot of times I don't even sing, but I have a mic because I interact with um, audience, especially in smaller venues, you know. Um, I actually, one of the microbreweries that I play, I, I have numbered in my head every seat at the bar and the tables that are along, uh, along the side. Wow. And when I see people bopping or, 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 or interacting a little bit with the band, I'll interact with them vocally over the mic and say, uh, the party at table four is a little unruly tonight, you know. <laughs> and... and it does a couple of things. One, that make, it makes them feel like they're part of it. Number two, it might sweeten up my tip bucket because I'm working. You know, yep, I yep, am working. Yep. And, uh, and we're, you know, we're trying to make money. But at the same time, I'm entertaining, you know. And, and, and it's, it's, it took a long time for me to d- develop that also. I mean, it, it's a difficult thing, to, you know, to try to, you know, ask people for money. But, you know, I do a duo thing a lot of times as a drummer. I'll, I'll play with another guy, just play a very small kit, and I, I like to introduce the band, and this is James, and I'm Sonny, and I, I said, well, wait a second, I'd like to introduce you to the third member of the band, and they, they said, well, there's only two guys there. They said, well, I'd like to introduce you to Phil, Phil the Tip Bucket. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, things like that, you know, and, and just make it more fun than, um, you know, you know, to, to seem too, uh, like you're not begging for money, you know? But great, great story there, though. Great, great story about your the way you use the the overhead mic behind the drums. Because on on episode twelve of this podcast, we had Mark Allen Barnett uh, from Nashville, who's written about three thousand songs, and he talked about the showmanship, and he talked about how to work a room like that to engage the tables and to not lose people who are in the back of the room, or you know, not not lose people who are in large parties that if you don't get them, they're just going to talk and talk and talk over you. So so really good, really good lessons there. Or, or leave. See, there's an interesting thing. When I'm playing something very small, like a microbrewery, when we first start playing, say, it's 8 o'clock, there's people eating. There's probably more families there. Um, so you, I, we play at the level. My thing is, um, if you can't hear them talking, you're playing too loud. Because at that point, they're not there for entertainment. Your background, you're, you're an employee. Now, after that, 9.30, 10 o'clock, crowd, you know, my kind of roll in for some microbrews and especially in the weeknight, you know, they're leaving, especially if you take a break at 10, 30, they're gone. If you could stay on stage and keep them engaged and to buy a couple extra drinks or, or another burger or something like that, 
that owner is completely, he's thrilled with us. You know, he yeah. loves that we do that. Yeah. And uh, when I'm in town, he says, do anything you want. As a drummer, he says, do anything you want from whatever you want here. And, you know, it's great. And I have people come up and sing, even if they sing poorly. I have people engage. I have kids sitting on my lap, you know, playing drums, taking <laughs> pictures, you know. And it, it's, I love it. You know, I love it, but I think it's it's important, you know, um, not to take yourself all that seriously, you know? Yep, I mean, yep. but it's not the Taj Mahal, you know? It's, well said. You know, you're an entertainer. Entertain people, you know? Well said. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York is Blues Hall of Famer, drummer, radio show host, Sonny Rock. Listen to his weekly show at www.wrip979.com. Catch him out playing in clubs everywhere, including on tour with TAS Crew. Check them out at www.tascru.com. Be sure that you're checking out www.nowhearthis.biz. That's H-E-A-R. Sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast. Feel free to use the social media buttons on nowhearthis.biz to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and become a Twitter follower. Sonny, this is a tough subject for me since I laid my bike down two years ago thanks to a careless automobile driver at Bike Week in Daytona. But I haven't seen any motorcycle pictures from you on Facebook these days. You're still riding, I hope. What, 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 uh, which bike are you on these days? Uh, I have, in New York State, I have an 07 uh, Harley Davidson night train. Um, I, haven't, I, I haven't been on the bike once this, this summer yet. It's been a long winter for us here. I've been gone a lot. And uh, on the days that I've had off, I've been working either getting ready for the radio show or drumming. I'm, I'm under pressure. I just finished a record with um, this, this uh, Bill Edwards. He, he hosts uh, Wounded Warriors Project every year, which gets pretty big. A lot of celebrities are on it. The Tower of Power Orange. You have uh, um, Earl Slick from David Bowie's band. You have Gene Cornish from the Rascals. Wow. And I got asked to play on it. That was a huge project this year. I'm working on Taz's new new album, and I got asked to do another project. I'm the kind of guy that needs to be focused on that when I'm not on the road to, to make sure that I'm ready when you go in the studio. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't spend a lot of time. I love writing. It's one of my favorite yeah. things in the whole yeah. world. Um, I'm a little more nervous about writing where I am in the Catskills due to uh, a lot of animals running around. Uh, winter was lost. There's a lot of salt, dirt on the yeah. roads. Yep. And and in early evening, there's a lot of bugs here. You know, so that's another problem. Yeah, uh, I was just in Los Angeles, and I have a '68 um, shovelhead out oh, there gosh. with big eight fingers, and, and we rode from um, LA up to um, the Hearst Castle on the coast. Oh yeah, when I, you know, took overnight, and I was in heaven because you know you're flying up the Pacific Coast Highway, you know, in a t-shirt, and I feel more comfortable in that city riding than I really do here. But I'll, I'll be on it. Um, I'm going to slow down. Um, after Fourth of July, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a little bit of time, and uh, I'm gonna have like two weeks. And I'm planning on uh, there's a couple of mountain ranges I think over in Massachusetts I've heard about that I'd like to go you know check out for nice. an overnighter nice. or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know down here of course we you know w- for us riders in the south we have to worry about uh, some of the some of the dirt roads you know um, dirt roads or, or sand. I mean yeah I mean certainly. Yeah. It's certainly not Los Angeles in the 405 or the 10, but, you know, I-4, I-75, some of those get a little hairy as well. Well, in that Daytona situation here, you know, that's not a, uh, 
uncommon story. As a matter of fact, we had a friend that got airlifted um, out of there and then uh, spent about six weeks in a coma. Oh uh, the same story was, was in Daytona and got uh, broadsided. Uh, somebody ran a red light and you know, there's so many motorcycles, you know, and I think people become a little frazzled with that. And, um, people ride differently. So I think motorists have, have a, di- you know, have uh, a difficult time judging what people are going to do Yeah, is one of the things that come to the conclusion. You know, you have guys that hot rod, you have people that are, are antsy and nervous riding. You have intermediate riders. And when there's a lot of motorcycles around people, I think motorists handle that differently. And, you know, as a motorist myself, I've had a couple of close calls with motorcycles, and I've been riding since I'm, you know, I'm 18 years old. Yeah. You know, and and I've had a couple. I've never, I've never hit somebody, but um, I, I've definitely been in a couple of accidents myself. You know. Well, and I don't, you know, I don't want to revisit it, and I don't want to spend the podcast talking about, uh, you know, about my accident. But um, you know, I guess what bothered me about mine is I was I was at Bike Week. I mean, when you know, when you, when you're driving an automobile and you know that Bike Week is going on, you have to be extra careful and know that there's just going to be bikes everywhere. So. Um, anyhow, but, I've mentioned throughout the podcast that you play with Task Crew. Just trace the roots there. When and how did you get hooked up with him? Interesting story. I came back to New York. It's where I grew up. I grew up in Queens. My 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 grandmother and her and my family had uh, opened a resort in Catskills. Speaking of resorts, back in as she bought property in the forties, and it was there until the seventies. And so I was in LA. And I was working on a movie, Angels and Demons. I was working on the soundtrack. Uh, with Tom Hanks, and I got hit by a car in a crosswalk. Oh, gosh. I, and I broke my pelvis, I broke 13 ribs, collapsed long, broke my arm, my shoulder, my cheekbone, my collarbone. Wow. Um, and I came back to convalesce here and lay around. So as I'm kind of hanging around uh, and getting better, I noticed, A, all these musicians from other popular bands playing in venues, hence the radio show, I started going out. I didn't know anybody, so I started going out to open mics and this and that. I landed a gig in Albany, New York, with uh, the uh, the Capital Region Blues Network uh, in the house band on Sunday nights. And I started to meet people, and, I, and that guitar player who ran that was Taz, is Taz Cruz guitar player. Uh-huh. And they had a drummer. Drummer ended up in some trouble behind uh, drinking and driving. Uh-oh. Door opened up, and I started learning his stuff before I was ever even asked to play with him because wow. it was tricky and I started learning it and we played a gig together and he was playing cover songs and I said why don't you play One-Eyed Jack why don't you play Can't Get Over Blue <laughs> and he said, he said you know those songs I said yes I do he goes are you sure and I said That's, they're not they're not they sound easy but they're not and um, and so he, he came over and shook my hand he goes thanks for learning my songs what are you doing next Friday and Saturday wow and, wow. and, and that's kind of how I was ready you know I was ready I saw an opening possible and i prepared for it you know i got his records and started learning the songs without him even knowing about it what a cool story so so set so set the record straight for me because my question was going to be how does someone who grew up in la end up on the other side of the country not in new york city but in the catskills so fill in some of those blanks for me all right so i was i was um a young teenager growing up in, in queens long island area and coming back and forth to the Catskills. My, my family also had a second home here. Uh-huh. And um, they, they decide to get out of the city and come and, and buy a restaurant in the Catskills in the middle of a tourist town, Wyndham, New York. And um, so we, we started, we were back and forth my whole life. We moved here as a teenager. And 
I was miserable. Hated it. I was a long-haired kid uh, listening to the James Gang and Almond Brothers and Black Sabbath in Long Island, and I got to the country, and I didn't know much about that <laughs> in the 70s. Um, all I wanted to do was get out of there. So I went to school for a couple of years. Yeah, I actually finished high school on Long Island and uh, went to engineering school in Troy, New York, for a year and got an opportunity to go to Los Angeles at 19, and I left. I was done. Wow. And I didn't come, I didn't come back the first time for seven years. Wow. And then, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I went, went out there, and, of course, nothing worked out the way it was supposed to at 19, and I started painting <laughs> houses is what I did, you know, and looking for gigs. And I got one of my first paying gigs as a drummer was I was in a centerfold shoot for Penthouse Magazine playing drums for a, a, a pictorial. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hey, that's not that's not bad work if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, so that was one of the first things that I did, and then um, I worked the door at a at a very large music club called the Music Machine, and um, every night there'd be lists of it was it was, it was a four band a night club. You know, there'd be uh, original bands all all night, all week. It was just horrible, and I, I watched L.A. Guns and, and Guns N' Roses and Faster Pussycat play there. And uh, everything from the early Boss uh, Lobos, whenever the Crusados played there. And uh, I got to meet Mitch Mitchell, one of my heroes, Raymond Zarek, I met there. Uh, Jim from Taxi, Christopher Lloyd, hung out there a lot. And uh, I, was, I was 20 years old working the door there, you know? Amazing. Great. Sonny, I want to thank you for your time today. You've accomplished so much in your music career. Congratulations on all your success. What what words of wisdom would you like to leave this interview with in terms of advice and encouragement for the listeners that are hardworking musicians, up-and-comers, entertainers who are aspiring to reach some of the heights that, that you have hit? You know, if, if, if you learn your instrument to the best of your ability, if you work with others to the best of your ability, and, and you're nice to people, and, and, and work hard, it can't go bad. Um, it might not happen fast. Uh, it sounds like a lot for me, but it's taken this 30 years or more worth of stuff. And it's always changing. And, you know, be willing to be teachable. You have to be teachable and be willing to work with others. And the music business is full of egos, if you know, it's, it's a tough business. And, and uh, I, I always say that I'm an egotistical maniac with an inferiority complex, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I do the best that I can, and some days are better than others, but stay focused and, and do that. If you have to wait tables in the meantime, do that. But, you know, keep that as, that's not your job, that's your hobby. You know, your job is to be a musician or a singer, you know, and, and cultivate that. You know, don't don't be shy to work that. And go out to open mics and, and meet people, and, and you have to wade through it. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, you have to just wade through, through it. It's like looking for diamonds. You know, you just have to look and Hopefully you'll find one, and it's it's different. Like I thought, a rock star is going to be I was going to have you know uh, a platinum record and, and be in this long haired touring band. I did some of that, but I wasn't in the band. I was a hired guy, but I've been a working musician my whole life, and I'm really grateful. I'm very, very, extremely lucky, and uh, and, and humbled by my experience. I like it. I like it, Sonny. Thanks so much. Really good stuff today, my friend. Bruce, thank you so so very much. My pleasure, my pleasure. I would like to formally thank my guest, Blues Hall of Famer, drummer, Sonny Rock. Listen to his weekly show at www.wrip979.com. Catch him out playing in clubs everywhere, including on tour with Task Crew. 
Don't forget to visit www.nowhearthis.biz and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. Please give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio as well. It actually helps the podcast a lot, especially uh, click on the stars to give it hopefully a five-star rating as well. We have been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out online at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in crystal blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Task Crew. This is the title track from the Tired of Blues Men Crying CD. Yeah, I'm tired of blues men crying Just cause some woman left